Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. I'm so excited about this season. I just feel like I've had some amazing guests on. I'm not going to name everybody, but I am going to definitely say that, like all herbalists, everyone's my favorite, except for I do have like my favorite of favorites. And I'm kind of going to give you a really good series. So we heard from Michelle Ross, who's a neuroscientist. Today, I'm going to interview Stephanie Boucher from Canna Botanicals. We also are going to have Lakeisha Jenkins on the show, Dr. Lakeisha Jenkins, who is amazing. And then we also have Jessica Bates from Moon Mother Botanicals. So already we're going to have like four amazing women that you're going to hear from this season. And then there's all this other stuff in the season too. So I'm just kind of stoked. That being said, I want to introduce you to Stephanie. Stephanie Boucher studied herbalism at the Vermont Center for Integrative Herbalism after living on a cannabis farm in the hills of Mendocino County. After having her child and experiencing the healing powers of cannabis, she created Cannabotanicals to help bring cannabis back into the modern herbal apothecary, keep it in the hands of the people, and utilize it as the powerful transformational tool that it is. Welcome, Stephanie. So you had this deep sense of a connection to herbalism just based on your childhood. When did you actually start formally studying or not formally, but you know, when do you feel like your herbal journey began? Yeah, it was sort of a meandering journey. So I, I feel like at some point in my life, I kind of lost that connection as I got older and I got really into academia. So I did really well in school, really well in college. My professors encouraged me to go to graduate school and I did. I went to UMass Amherst for a couple of years and was in like a sociology PhD program. You know, I'm grateful for that experience, but it really, it was not feeding me. I didn't feel like it was the right place for me. Something was just missing. What happened during that time is I I started getting involved with this local group called Food Not Bombs, which they're all over the country and they take food, you know, that would otherwise be thrown away and they serve it for free to people in public. So I started working with them as actually part of a dissertation, but actually in doing that found that I really loved working with food in general. There was other people who were involved with that, who were bringing herbal remedies too. So I was like, Oh, what is this about? Like, I think I learned about borage for the first time there and like mugwort and um, nettles and all of that. So that felt like a pivotal point for me. And what ended up happening was I took a summer off and I decided to travel out west. And I went to go woof on some farms in Northern California. And my intention was entirely to just go work on vegetable farms and like milk goats and do all of that. But as you know, in Northern California, you can't really throw a rock without hitting a cannabis farm. So I found myself on a cannabis farm in Mendocino County. And that really changed a lot of things for me. It was really like an invitation to live life in a different way that was much more in tune with the land. They were doing it really nicely with permaculture practices and other herbs brought into it. There was other herbalists living there and it was really exciting for me. So living in that situation for a little while and getting more in depth with plant medicine and gardening is what brought me to my, I guess, official beginning 
studies with herbalism, which was with Rosemary Gladstar's home study course. So gosh, that would have been in like 2010, 2009, 2010, around that time. I did that course for a while and then really wanted to deepen my studies. And that's when I decided, okay, it's time for me to come back East. I grew up in Maine and I wanted to be closer to family. And there's a fantastic herbal school in Vermont, which is where I came in 2014, I believe, to study at the Vermont Center for Integrative Herbalism. So that's where I am today. And I did their three-year clinical program. Oh, that's a nice journey you've had. So you literally went to Mendocino County, thought you were going to work with vegetables. I mean, did you, were you on a vegetable farm that also grew cannabis or was it purely just a weed farm? No. So I started working at this other farm where they had like a vineyard and animals and a little garden. I worked at a couple different farms, but this one, they happened to be really good friends with these other folks who on the other side of the mountain were just starting a little homestead. And they had some cannabis plants growing and they had other stuff too. They had like chickens and the food garden in addition to the medicine garden. So I just really clicked with them and I started hanging out over there more and was like, you know what? I think I want to just stay here for a while. Like this feels really good to me. So I, I definitely landed there accidentally, but in a lot of ways it felt like fate, you know, just sort of like I was drawn there for a reason. I think that's how all of us feel about Northern California. I mean, it's just there's yeah. something magical and like not your normal reality about that place. That's really great. So since you were there, you, you said like 2010, 2014, that was definitely like before they legalized cannabis, but everyone was pretty much, you know, claimed or did grow medicinal cannabis for dispensaries. What was your favorite thing about that whole like private market industry that's there that, you know, of course, back then we wouldn't have dared call it an industry, but that's the terminology <laughs> of today. So what was your favorite thing about that whole community of Northern California? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I feel like it was really liberating for me in a lot of ways. Just the folks who were there were able to live off the land in a way I hadn't really seen before. And we're just like, they had more freedom with their time. Like people were growing food, they were growing medicine. You know, a lot of people didn't have to like run off to a nine to five job. And, you know, there was a lot of intelligence there, but it was different from like the academic intelligence that I'd been exposed to of like, you write papers and stuff like this felt really grounded. Like, all right, we're going to learn about how to build a solar hot water heater. Right. And like apply that knowledge and like learn about plant chemistry and biology and like all of that in reference to like, okay, how can we grow better plants? Right. So the knowledge felt super grounded in that way. And I don't know, I feel like I was exposed to a lot of ideas that I hadn't encountered before. Like there was a pretty large like anarchist community that I fell in with and just sort of like blew my world open when it came to um, like my perspectives on education and school and like what work has to look like and community. So, yeah, it was really sort of like a shape shifting experience for me. I was able to try on different ways of being and thinking 
that really sort of helped me grow in some pretty profound ways. And that's really like pretty much how I would describe my Northern California experience that I thankfully still get to have (laughs) because it really is. I mean, that is like the place of ultimate growth and just really it is and thinking outside of the box and a whole new reality type of place Mm -hmm. that I think that all of us could use either for a little while or some of us mm-hmm. just should probably stay in that space as much as possible because it really is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> really is a beautiful it space is. to be in. You know, now that you're in Vermont and there's definitely legal cannabis all over the Northeast, how is the like cannabis community there? How does that differ from your experience in Mendocino County? I mean, it's a lot more regulated, at least in the ways that I've interacted with it. So I was lucky enough when I came here to study at herb school that the medical dispensary in the same town just happened to be hiring. That was sort of like really the infancy of the medical program in Vermont at that time. And so I was like, okay, this plant just keeps following me everywhere. So I applied and I got a job there. And that was an interesting experience to be in the dispensary world and like all of the rules and the record keeping and, you know, the legislation we had to keep up on. And like it was a very different experience, but a really great one, too, because I was able to interact with patients who were coming in with a wide variety of issues and help them, you know, select what form of cannabis, what strains, what kinds and really see transformational processes happening with them. Like folks who would come in who had been taking opioids and felt like they couldn't get off of the opioids and were still in pain and then giving them this plant and seeing them, you know, over the course of months be able to reduce their opioid dose. So it was really eye opening to like be in a system in which I could watch that happen for people. And then also like through my time there, like I eventually started working up in the kitchen and really got a lot of experience making medicine and different kinds of medicine while working there. So, yeah, I feel like that that structure and that system being there allowed me to grow my skills in some new ways and really see the power of cannabis to help like so many different kinds of people. You know, I like so many of our herbal plants, you know, it really is like what we would consider this like miraculous thing that does so much. And it's like, well, yeah, there's like a ton of plants that we would call these miracle plants that do so much, but like cannabis, of course, is, has this mystique about it and it has been prohibited for so many years. So of course Mm -hmm. everybody wants it now that they can have it. And especially those of us who've always loved it. So what spawned you to starting your business, Cannabotanicals? Yeah. So this sort of relates to what you just said and that, you know, there are so many other plants that are powerful for people. And so, you know, I'm working in the dispensary, I'm going to herb school and I'm like, okay, these two things have to come together. And so I had the privilege of working in the kitchen and making the remedies. And so I was able to have some creative flexibility there. And I started adding other herbs to the tinctures So we made like three or four different herbal blends where we would combine cannabis with things like kava and tulsi and ashwagandha and like sort of targeting different symptom profiles or like directing the remedy in a way. And luckily, the owners of the dispensary were super open to it and the patients loved it, especially 
you know, the ones that we crafted for more pain relief, um, thing, the remedy specifically that included kava and skullcap, people just, they tried it and it, they found it to be so much more effective. So that was sort of a light bulb moment for me of like, okay, this is a super powerful plant as it is. And how much more powerful can it be if we bring in these other herbal allies and formulate with it? So that was sort of the, the spark of the idea. And I tried to pitch within the dispensary structure. I really wanted to do consultations for people because that's what I was being trained to do in school. It was a clinical program. And so what I really wanted to do is be able to have like one-on-one -on -one consultations with the patients and create custom formulas for them, which included cannabis. It was like, we have the ability to do this. This is an amazing opportunity. You know, they sort of played with that idea for a while, but it became clear that that wasn't really the direction they wanted to go or where they wanted to invest their money. So I said, well, I think this is a great idea. And so I'm just going to do it on my own. And so pretty young last year is when I finally was like, okay, I'm going to do this on my own. This was after like several years of thinking about it and talking with them about it. And so that's when I launched Canna Botanicals was last, just about a, a year ago today, actually, it was last March. And that was sort of the focus is to create these products that formulate with cannabis that are sort of general products. And obviously I'm using hemp with high CBD because that's what I'm legally allowed to sell here in Vermont right now. So that's the product line that I have. And then I also offer that consultation to people to create custom formulas for them with hemp and give cannabis recommendations. So yeah, it was sort of my work with the dispensary and trying to bring the other herbs in as much as possible and realizing that if I wanted to do it, I sort of had to do it on my own and create my own thing. Well, I really wish that more companies that have CBD products and hemp products and ganja products on the market actually consulted herbalists because I see some pretty poor formulas out there and just like generic where it's like, if you're going to charge 60 bucks for this, man, this should be an rockin' formula that would work whether cannabis were in it or not. So I appreciate your formulas because I looked at them online and was like, oh, thank goodness. Like this is what they should be. I do have some questions about the hemp that you use in your products. Are you using like, you know, infused hemp oil? Are you using distillates or isolates? Kind of what's your process? Yeah, I don't use any distillates or isolates. I'm a firm believer in full spectrum and as close to whole plant as possible. So I was on the search for a while to find really good products. And I finally found a farm that I felt really good about. And they're about an hour north of me. It's called Lily Hill Farm. So I source pretty much everything from them at this point. And the, the gal, it's a a couple that runs the farm and the gal actually also went to the herb school. So I was like, all right, I know you're on the same page as me. Like that's a good start. And they grow everything organically. They have really good quality hemp flower. That's like the most beautiful hemp flower I've ever seen really well trimmed and smells really good too. So I get some flour from them. And then for my tinctures, I actually get like a solid extract which, you know, it goes by many names. It's sort of like an RSO or a FICO. They extract the hemp in ethanol and alcohol, and then they remove the alcohol. So what's left is just the, the concentrated resins and it is full spectrum. So it's got the terpenes. It probably has the flavonoids and all the other things as well. 
So I get that from them and I formulate with that in my tinctures. So I'm able to get more in to each bottle by working with concentrate. And it also overcomes some of the difficulty I was having with combining cannabis tincture with other tinctures. It didn't seem to want to play well a lot of the times, but I found using this concentrate, mixing it with honey, and then the other tinctures seems to work really nicely. And so it's locally grown Vermont hemp, it sounds like, and you use the full spectrum extract, but then you also do make a tincture that is like a traditional tincture like you'd make any other herb. So I don't currently. So the flower that I get goes into the pre-rolls and the smoking blends. I want to make just a straight up cannabis tincture. All of the tinctures that I have now are elixirs and they use that extract. But I do have dreams of making actually like a spagyric extract of hemp. I might try to do that this summer and learn about some like fun alchemical ways to make tinctures because there really isn't just a straight up cannabis or hemp tincture on the market here. Everything that they call tincture is like actually an oil that's been infused, which as an herbalist kind of irks me. I'm like, that's not the right word. It is my (laughs) biggest pet peeve. Well, I have several pet peeves with cannabis right now, but that is definitely the biggest one. I'm like, dude, this is not a tincture. We have to like, they're like, we're developing our own vocabulary. I'm like, no, there's already a vocabulary developed. You just need to use it. Right. Totally. Sorry. That's I yeah. Just had to so it is sort in. of on my list of things to do to make that alcohol-based tincture that is just hemp. Um, but right now, everything uses that extract, everything that goes into a bottle anyway. And then the pre-rolls, are they mixed with other herbs or is it just straight hemp? Yeah. So they're mixed with other herbs too. That's kind of a thing. Right now, I just have one blend and that's mixing hemp with uva ursi, mullen, mugwort, and anise hyssop. So that's sort of like my general smoking blend. I have that available loose and also pre-rolled. And I want to expand out, hopefully also this summer, expanding out into some other blends that might be a little different. Like this one might be more relaxing. This one might be more energizing. Um, But yeah, that's the blend I have currently. And what's the overall, you know, therapeutic value of the blend that you currently have? Or is it just for fun and smoking? Yeah, I find it to be incredibly relaxing. I feel like, you know, the other herbs in there are either traditional smoking herbs or are sort of relaxing nervines. So they complement the fact that hemp is also a relaxing nervine. So I find it to be really lovely tasting, very relaxing. And what's actually been surprising to me is that it really helps me if I have a headache. So if I have a headache, especially a tension headache, and I go outside and have one of those, it disappears, which was not my intention with formulating. But I mean, it makes a lot of sense that it would help with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've just been smoking hemp. Sometimes I roll it with ganja. Sometimes I smoke it by itself. And um, it's very relaxing. And I feel like it's also like it gets my inspiration going. You know, I'm not getting high, but I definitely feel pretty much all the other effects I get from cannabis other than the alteredness. Absolutely. So I think it's really important to talk about, you know, in this like legal cannabis industry, how privilege does play a role, right? Because it plays a role in all of life. And you really mentioned that on your website, which I appreciate because I think it's something that we all should be talking about, especially when people, especially a lot of people are of color and lower income are still sitting in jail for cannabis offenses all over the United States, including in legal states like Colorado. 
and how important this is that if we're going to continue this as the billion dollar industry that, you know, everybody wants it to be, then we have to address these issues. And so you do that a little bit on your website. So do you want to explain to the listeners what you're offering instead of just saying, I have a cannabis business, but like what you're actually giving back to the community? Yeah, I try to give back, you know, I'm not, I'm not making bank off of this. So I don't have like a lot of resources at my disposal, but I do try to give back throughout the year. And then at the end of the year, at least 10% of any profits that I've made to a bunch of different organizations. Like it sort of varies based on what's coming up for me at that time. But I did donate this past year to Raices, Texas, who is working a lot with the children at the border. So I donated some money to them. I've also donated money to National Bailout, which, you know, it doesn't specifically target people who are incarcerated or arrested for like cannabis related crimes. But, you know, that is a huge part of it. A lot of it is helping, especially black folks and, you know, other people of color, women of color who've been incarcerated and just they don't have the money to make bail. And so they're just stuck there. And sometimes it's as simple as like a hundred dollars, right? It's the difference between them being behind bars or outside. So I've tried to give back money to those organizations as well. And then environmental causes as well. So I tried to give back to United Plant Savers, the Indigenous Environmental Network, National Park Conservation Association. So I tried to like think about all the different things that I value and what Like, what am I doing this work for and who am I doing it for and how can I take the the money that is generated through working with this plant, which has this huge history of being used as a tool of oppression? And how can I take that money and actually create it and use it for good and try to do my small part to rectify that? So that's been my solution you know, because I recognize that I, I have had a lot of privilege, you know, I've worked in this industry, you know, and I, I haven't gotten in trouble. I've never been arrested. And a large part of that is, you know, that I am sort of a middle-class cis white woman and I haven't faced the same sort of struggles and obstacles that other people have. So I just try to be really aware of that in the work that I do and do what I can to, to use the privilege that I have for the most good, if that makes any sense. That totally makes sense. And I appreciate that because we need to, and it's hard. And sometimes you're like, I don't have time or I don't have money, but there's always like 20 bucks that you can give. That does make a difference. Cause for that person who really only needed a hundred dollars, that only took five people to give $20 to pretty much change their life for that moment. And then also potentially in the long run, um, because we do, most of us have known somebody who's been arrested for cannabis and, in the end, the more money they have, usually the better outcome. You know, white male obviously is on top, but even them I've seen get totally messed with. And if they didn't have the money to get themselves out, then they were kind of screwed. So yeah, it's really important that we continue to give back, especially because although that may not be you or I at this point in life, but there are multi-million dollar publicly traded cannabis businesses operating here and in Canada and Canadian businesses that are now operating here in America. So it's time that that's where the profits, at least partially, should be going, is to make sure that every single person is out of jail, that's in jail for cannabis. Because how can one person be making millions off it while somebody else is in jail for it? It just doesn't make sense. 
Yeah, it makes zero sense. And it's just another way that it's being used in an oppressive way. Right. We don't need that anymore. Cannabis doesn't want to be used that way. Like I feel like cannabis, part of its spirit is all about community and connection with other people. And when we're using it to pit people against each other or in a way that hurts other people, that's just not good use of that medicine, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely not. (laughs) Definitely not a good use. What kind of advice would you have for budding herbalists or even experienced herbalists that want to incorporate cannabis into their, either their private practice or the products that they make, or just, you know, the advice that they give their friends and family? So that sounds like there's a couple different things there. So advice <laughs> there's a on few how questions to, in there. Yeah. Cause they're all a little bit different, right? So how to work with clients was the first thing I heard. So if you are herbalist and your clients are like, Hey, what do you think about cannabis? I mean, the first piece of advice I would give is just to educate yourself and make sure you're getting your information from a good source. So there's a lot of information out there about cannabis and a lot of it is not good. So I recommend, you know, when people ask me where are the best resources, you know, I, I teach classes a little bit online, mostly in person, but in terms of bigger organizations that are putting out good information, Project CBD is a great resource. Healer.com is another really good resource. So those are the two things. Oh, and Professor of Pot is another one. Those are some good websites that are really looking at the scientific data so that you know that what you're telling your clients or your friends is actual true fact about the plant. So education is super important. I would also advise people who are looking to work with clients to make sure that everything they are doing is legal because we still exist in a very, it's it's a gray area, right? What we're doing, working with cannabis at any point, it's still federally illegal. Hemp now, not so much, but even there is some like weirdness with the FDA, right? So just making sure that if you're telling someone that they should use a certain strain of cannabis, that they are legally allowed in the first place to access that because if not, you're basically telling them to break the law. So just making sure that you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's and not doing things that are going to get you into trouble because then you're not able to serve people anymore. That's sort of my advice for people who looking to do clinical work. And then also use the plant yourself, right? As herbalists, we want to not just have the book knowledge of the plant, but also the embodied knowledge of like, okay, well, what does this do in my body when I take it? Like, how does it make me feel? What are the energetics? And so working with the plant as much as you are able to and comfortable with so that you have that knowledge as well to offer people and that experience. That's sort of my advice for working with clients. In terms of formulating, if you're interested in making products, I would say, you know, there's a lot that goes into formulating, but One of the big things that I try to think about is balancing out energetics. So cannabis is, you know, traditionally seen as kind of a hot and dry plant. It's pretty resinous. Um, Those kinds of plants tend to be hot and dry. So I like to try to include other herbs that are, you know, a little like juicy and moistening and try to like counter that a little bit, just especially because as a culture, we're all sort of hot and dry already. So getting those like juicy yin tonic herbs into people is really great, especially when you're working with a hot and dry plant like cannabis. 
and flavor, you know, that's another piece of it. Cannabis is a really strong tasting plant. And so knowing how to either cover that up if that is an issue for you or the folks you're working with or how to like bring out the lovely flavors of citrus and pine and all the other things that are in there. So yeah, it's, it's fun to experiment and obviously try the remedies yourself and see how they taste and feel. You know, it's so funny because here in the Western herbal world, everyone says cannabis is hot and dry. And then in Chinese medicine, we say cannabis is either sweet and neutral or sweet and warm. So it's actually really balancing. Mm -hmm. So I'm like curious, just like in my head thinking here, kind of off topic, but you know, that's what happens when you love cannabis, you go (laughs) off topic. (laughs) There's so um, many rabbit holes. (laughs) So many rabbit holes is that I'm wondering if because of this like high, you know, cannabinoid and, you know, specifically THC is what I'm thinking of. And then all the terpenoid production that happens with cannabis, if because we've like developed these, strains that are so much higher in terpene production and in THC and CBD now, if Mm -hmm. that's what's making the plant more hot and dry is our, you know, because, you know, when Chinese medicine wrote these books, you know, that was like a couple thousand years ago. And we've definitely cultivated the plant a lot differently over this 2000 year period. Um, especially here in the United States where we had a pretty mm-hmm. like legitimate proliferative <laughs> underground for <laughs> decades. Um, so mm-hmm. that's just something I'm going to think about more. Like why do Western herbalists see, which I am a Western herbalist too, but why does one side see it as hot and dry and another side see it as sweet and neutral So or sweet and warm? Yeah. So I don't know, just it's interesting things to I- think about. Yeah, I feel like there's probably something there in, you know, the increased production of trichomes and terpenes and especially THC sort of driving that aspect of it up over the decades, like you said. The interesting thing, and I'm certainly no expert on Chinese medicine, but what I have seen looking at cannabis is that they they did often call it hot and dry. There was Oh God, what was it? I can't remember the exact name, but I think that the translation I've seen, they call it fire hemp. So there was a recognition that it was sort of heating, but that it also had the ability to balance yin and yang, right? So that neutral quality of like balancing. And I wonder, because what I've seen is that they often use the seed and it was either the seed plain or maybe the seed with the husk and the resin intact. And the seed of the plant is obviously going to be much more like sweet and nutty and nourishing and yin tonifying. And I wonder if it's because they were using the seed so extensively that they saw that quality in it more. Whereas now, like we sort of in the way we grow it, we don't want any seeds in it. Right. So we, we've lost that part of the medicine, but we can bring it back. And I encourage people to do that, especially when they're making edibles, like put some hemp seed in there. Because we know they're super high in omega-3 and omega-6s. They're really anti-inflammatory. They're the building blocks of our endocannabinoid system. And they're balancing the energetics. So it's, it just makes sense to include them. Right. Yeah, we could, should never forget about the seed. That's for sure. Because without a seed, you know, we can't have a clone or a mother or any of those things. So seed's very important. And I'm also wondering if it's just because we're like smoking it and that's making it hot and dry. 
because even the plant material in Chinese medicine is sweet and neutral. But I think it's like the way we are, you know, I don't know. I won't get off on this tangent. I can, I'll revisit <laughs> this later. I need to talk to some more Chinese medicine scholars who've actually, yeah. unlike me, I get the translation already in English. I'm like, no, I want to know exactly what this chapter is saying because somebody totally. out there knows who's reading classical Chinese. That's for sure. Yeah. I would love to know more too. <laughs> I know. It's fascinating. So where can people learn from you or more about you? I know that you do have some in-person classes, but you also are going to have some online classes as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'm trying to get more into the online educational world. Right now, I just have one class online, which is a DIY class on making your own cannabis oil infusions. So anyone can access that. And it's sort of like once you have it, you have it forever. So that can be found. All of this can be found on my website, which is cannabotanicals.net. So I have one online class right now. I'm hoping to expand that. And I'm actually I might be partnering with someone else to teach a series of classes in the late summer, early fall. And those will also be online. What's a good website or phone number that people can contact you? Yeah. So if you go to my website, that's kind of the best way. So that's cannabotanicals.net. And that has all the information on it in terms of the classes I'm teaching. You can also buy my products there. And if you sign up for my newsletter, when you go there, you get a 15% off coupon. So you can use that on your first order if you want to try any of my tincture blends or the pre-rolls or the loose smoke and hopefully adding some more products like I had mentioned. So the products are on there too. And then there's also the option to make an appointment to actually work with me, which is what I'm really excited about doing is that one-on-one -on -one work with people and that can be either a standalone herbal consultation. It can just focus on cannabis or it can be, you know, including other herbs. And I'd come up with a custom formula for you. And then I also have, which I'm really excited about, a newish offering that is a 12-week coaching program, which it's all about holistic cannabis use and other herbs. So it's really taking that herbal consultation and just expanding out the possibilities for transformation. So what I've found is that a lot of folks will go through an herbal consultation, they'll get their herbs, but unless there's the accountability and the underlying motivation, like if that's not there, then a lot of times the herbs just don't get used and you know the issues don't get resolved. And so what I really want to do is be there for someone throughout three months to really work with the herbs and the cannabis recommendations, get everything super dialed in and get the, find the right herbal allies for you, which can take some time. And then also do a lot of like really deep work, you know, around our motivations, around our mindset, around our relationship to food and movement and relationship to our bodies in general and to nature. So that's an offering I'm super excited about. I'm seeing really great results in my clients. So you can learn more about that on my website as well. And that website is cannabotanicals.net. That's right. Yes. Well, Stephanie, I definitely appreciate you taking the time today to sit down with me and talk about cannabis and other herbs. Is there any last message you want to share with the, our listeners? 
In terms of understanding cannabis, you know, it's important for us to understand the pharmacology and, you know, know the science so we can speak that language, but also really understanding the energetics of it and the spirit of cannabis. And for me, what the spirit of cannabis is all about is transformation. It's about shape-shifting, right? That it, it shows up in the world in so many different forms, right? Indica, sativa, hemp, you know, high THC, this one's purple, this one's green. And I feel like it really encourages that within us, the idea that we can try on different perspectives, different consciousnesses, different possibilities, and through that, experience a lot of transformation. Cannabis to me is all about communication between worlds, between different parts of our nervous system, and between us and our higher selves. Like it can really connect us with that inner knowing and intuition. So that's something I really appreciate about cannabis. And I love thinking about her as, you know, her own being and what sort of gifts she has to offer to us. So that's something that I would encourage everyone to meditate on, on their own. What does cannabis mean to you? What kind of gifts does she have to offer you? Well, what a great way to end the show. So (laughs) thanks again, Stephanie. And thank you listeners for listening to another episode of the Herb Walk podcast. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. I always appreciate any comments or suggestions that you may have. Feel free to drop me a line in the comment section below. Shoot me an email at jessicajdragonacupuncture.com or feel free to like or follow me. My Facebook page is Jessica Baker LAC and my Instagram account is Baker underscore Botanica. My website is www.bakerbotanica.com. Come on over to the website and, you know, check out the essential oils I have for sale. Check out my book, Plant Songs, Reflections on Herbal Medicine. And as always, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being a lover of plant medicine. Have a great day.